I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello and welcome back to the first episode of 2023 on Uncover Your Magic podcast. I am so excited to share with you the top five of 2022 that I feel that really transformed my life, my thinking, the way I see life, the way I see where we're going in this life, the reason why I'm here and why I said yes to this podcast three years ago and where it's become and who I'm interviewing now and where my trajectory is and where my path is leading. All the the five people I'm going to share with you today who I chose, I could have picked like 20 for sure, if not more of um, the past year that really, really made an impact in me. But I've decided to pick these five and share with you a little bit of each interview and how at the beginning, we're going to talk about how each of them uncovered their magic. And you know, I love that. I love uncovering people's magic or realizing the moment they uncovered their magic. So we'll touch on that. And then we'll go into kind of the different areas that they really are, like they focus on their present passions, you know, what I really learned from each of them. And then where at the end, we're all like the common theme for all five of these guests where, you know, where we're going, what, you know, what the new earth looks like, why we chose to be here at this time and how exciting it is. They're all the same theme, but they say it all in different ways. And that's what I wanted to share with you because it's so cool to hear each of them describe where we're going in the new earth. So the top five for of 2022 was episode 107 with Aaron Apke. And then I went with episode 113, Dimitri Moriadis. And then with... Elizabeth April in episode 128 and 129 with Jenny Jablonski and then 135 with Wendy Kennedy. I chose those five and I know even after Wendy, there was some in December that I would have picked because I just feel like I'm, it's deeper and more expansive in my learning and who I'm picking and the booking that I have even just in January and February already is going to blow your mind. And I'm going to get messages like, you know, Ashley's rabbit hole, here we go. But um, yeah, I just, it's who I'm attracting. It's who I'm ready for. It's, and I know whoever listens is ready for that. And, you know, where we're, you know, on this journey together, growing and uh, just understanding our soul's purpose. It's, it's a beautiful thing and a beautiful life. And, you know, I bring back Aaron because his story was so beautiful and how he uncovered his magic. I know 
when you hear the first part of this uh, episode, you'll remember if you did listen, how cool his story was. And then with Dimitri and his story and Elizabeth, oh my gosh, she's 30 years old and how she uncovered her magic. Amazing. And then Ginny Jablonski, three near-death experiences and how she finally woke up, you know, 20 years ago to deciding to figure out you know, what is going on? And she did so much work. And I I actually have enrolled in her class and have learned so much from her even since that um, episode aired. And then with Wendy Kennedy, I had so many people reach out to me, especially at the end when she did her sound light activation. You know, it's just, she really helped me with the time and understanding that. And she's, I mean, her her experience, how she uncovered her magic is a beautiful thing. So enjoy the first part of this episode on how each of them uncovered their magic. And again, I just want to thank you all so much from the bottom of my heart for being on this journey with me, following me, listening to me every Tuesday and, you know, sending me messages. And I'm so grateful and I get so excited to see what 2023 will bring. And with that, let's begin. Yeah, well, I definitely can understand why people don't make that leap of faith because it is, there's a lot you can stand to lose. You know, if you right. grew up in a religion or a, a cult of some kind, it's just this, the sheer, you know, anxiety of losing everything and everyone in your life. And I, I struggled with that for many years in that questioning period of like, okay, I, I know I'm having some real problems with my religion now, but I don't have the courage to come out with that and risk losing everything. So I grew up as a pastor's kid, a uh, evangelical pastor's kid in the Silicon Valley, the Bay Area of California. And I wanted to be a pastor like my dad my whole life. I was a really sincere, devout Christian. From the time I can remember, like all I cared about was God and wanting to know God. And so, you know, I, I went to a Christian high school, Christian college, university, Got my degree in, in music and theology. So I was going to be a worship leader and start my pastoral career that way and then transition later. And it was my first church job I took as a full-time worship pastor after graduating from Oral Roberts University that I was forced to confront all the dogmas of my faith that I had been ignoring and running from growing up. Because in my dad's church, my family's church, we had the luxury of not really wrestling with that stuff because uh, we just emphasized all the great stuff about Christianity of Jesus loves you. God is forgiving, all loving, loves everybody. You know, everyone's invited to the table and we didn't talk about hell or the rapture or um, women's inferiority and stuff like that, which is in some of the new Testament books until I got my first job at a church that did talk about that stuff all the time. And I, you know, the universe backed me into a corner and was like, Hey, you have to, determine if you believe in this version of God or not. Mm -hmm. And it was just so insufferable to me to be in that environment. It was impalatable to digest those teachings every week and be on the stage and pretend like I want to be here when I don't want to be here. (laughs) So after like six months, I would say of taking that job, I, I think nine months, something like that. I told my pastor, like, Hey, we had a kind of a big falling out moment where I, I talk about that on my YouTube channel and one of my videos where I kind of blew up and was like, I don't, I don't believe this stuff. I think it's all a bunch of hypocrisy and I don't want to work here anymore. Huh. 
but because I felt bad that I had just taken this job and they were looking for like a young, fresh face to put in the church as a worship leader to attract more young people. I felt bad for abandoning them. So I was like, I'll give you three more months and then I'm out of here, you know? (laughs) And it was the, oh, just the most tormenting three months of my life. Because as soon as I gave myself permission to question, I was like reading Alan Watts and watching Eckhart Tolle and new age stuff. And then I have to get up on stage and pretend like I'm a Christian (laughs) when I really wasn't anymore in the, you know, fundamentalist sense of the word. Yes. But man, was I ever a disciple of Christ at that point? I mean, it was, it was my love for Jesus that made me question everything Mm -hmm. because I said, look, you, you keep saying everyone else is going to hell outside these four walls. And if they don't believe like we believe God's going to torture them and sorry, I don't see that God revealed in Christ. I see a God revealed in Christ that is all forgiving and merciful who forgave his murderers while they were murdering him, who freely walked around Israel and and told people their sins were forgiven long before he went to the cross. I never saw Jesus say he was going to die to forgive people's sins, that he was a savior, that people should worship him. None of that stuff. So I don't know who you're talking about type of thing. So that was a really radical shift, as you can imagine, because as soon as I came out with that on Facebook and started posting about stuff I was questioning, you know, all the hounds got yeah. loose on me and then started attacking me as a heretic and a cult leader and stuff. So I lost all my friends, literally all my friends, all my family, except for my parents and sister, basically never talked to me again. And uh-huh. I moved back to Oklahoma where I went to college at the time I had just gotten married as well and just started pursuing whatever I could find that resonated with me about the divine. And if God isn't the Christian God, then who is God? What is the divine? Is there a God at all? Who's this Jesus guy I'm so inspired by if he wasn't a savior who was murdered on my behalf. And, you know, just my whole worldview flipped upside down in such a short amount of time, which threw me into a dark night of the soul. And my wife at the time wasn't coming along with me. So I knew that relationship wasn't congruent either. So I, I left my marriage after a couple more years of living in Oklahoma and then moved back to the Bay area, moved in with my parents and kind of started life all over again at 26 and uh, took a job at Google in the Bay area as a personal trainer. And at that point, you know, because the Christian identity was gone for me, I needed something else. So it was like fitness. That's the other thing I've always been passionate about. Let's just be all about fitness. Mm -hmm. So fitness modeling in San Francisco, bodybuilding, personal training, my whole life was fitness. And I was so miserable inside because I had felt like I lost something that was so intimate to my sense of self, the Christian, you know, I wouldn't have even known how to introduce myself Hmm. after that experience of, cause it was always like, I'm Aaron. I'm a Christian. My name is Aaron. I'm a Christian. Like as synonymous with my first name. Interesting. And so the experience happened to me at 27 was through this really dark period of after my divorce, everybody hates me and calls me a heretic. I don't have any foundation for relationship with God anymore. I don't know who I am or what life's about. So I would go up to this balcony above the gym that I was working at, at Google at the time, uh, on my lunch break and just listen to an Eckhart Tolle video for about an hour and eat my lunch and just watch the clouds. And it was the only thing that gave me some peace of mind at that mm-hmm. time. It started, um, Barbara grew up during the Depression era in the United States. Her father was a Greek Orthodox priest, and he was also a builder of churches. So the diocese would send him a certain area, literally get the congregation together, build up the church. Then they'd send him somewhere else. So this is a family of six kids, and they were moving all over the country. 
living on a priest's salary, like $80 a month for all those kids, you know. Oh, my gosh. And Barbara's like five of the fifth one of six. So, it, like she said, as, as early as three years old, I started to, I didn't even know what that was, but I started to see all these energies and colors around people. First, it was my mother. Then I started seeing around other people. And then other things, she was having angelic visitations and literal experiences of going to the other side. She said, I knew I wasn't dying. I wasn't uh, dreaming. These were real things that were happening. But she couldn't put it all together as far as what it all meant. Like with the aura, she would say, oh, I'd be attracted to somebody who had pretty colors and detracted to those that had not so great colors. And so it wasn't always a blessing seeing this because let's say if your parents were arguing, you would see the discordant energy between them, you know. But at 11, when they're doing all this leapfrogging, they were in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and he was building a church there. She got involved in theater of all things. And she was acting at 11 years old, you know, with a theater stock company. And the woman that ran it, Dorothy Lamas, one time said, come in privately. I'm going to talk to you Saturday. And she thought, oh, they're dropping. She's dropping me from the troop. <laughs> and then she started talking about completely different things. You know, how you see things. Said, what do you mean? I see things normal. She said, no, how do you see things? And then little Barbara, knows, oh, she's talking about that. And they said, you can see the aura, can't you? And Barbara's jaw drops. Said, I don't even know the name. Is that what it's called? Right. Well, I can see the aura too. My I'm a hermetic scientist. My mother and grandmother are all hermetic scientists. And I'd like to share with you a little bit about your gift to help you understand it better. So they would come in on, she would come in on Saturday privately. And she's had these handwritten hermetic science books. Unfortunately, you can't get them on Amazon, you know, and (laughs) started to learn about the aura, what the colors meant and about the spiritual worlds. And she said, just the whole world opened up to me. It was a very exciting time for me. Now I could interpret and understand what was going on. Oh, the lemon yellow around your head. What does that actually mean? What does that say about you? You know, and or the emerald green around your your heart area. Then she moved to L.A. because her father was building two churches, one in Bakersfield, the other in Pasadena. And that was during the golden age of Hollywood. So some of her brother, two of her brothers were really talented. Actually, three of them were all talented and they were starting to pursue. So she was getting involved in the showbiz world and she thought that was going to be my world, you know, and she was actually getting very successful at it and thought that was going to be her career. She was actually producing variety shows at 19 years old and things of that nature. And she said, I was trying to be a normal person, not with all these gifts because they kept increasing, but it kept coming back. And she had this lucrative offer, but the inspiration came in. No, this is not your path. You're meant to be a metaphysical teacher. So she took a very different turn. Eventually met another woman, a very high mystic, that started to prepare her to be able to teach. She said, you're going to go on the lecture platform. You're going to, and at the time, no one ever was interested in these things. Who wants this? But that's exactly what happened. Wow. So it began a very, she said in those days, all I had to do was say the word or she didn't need to do any marketing. You know, people just ran to hear about it. Um, It was very an open field. So she's truly one of the pioneers in the whole arena. And LA at that time was quite a, you know, a Mecca for those kinds of things. Right. It still is. Although even San Diego now I think is even more almost. Now I, interestingly enough, went to LA too, to be in film and television. And I went to NYU to study that. And it was directing and writing and things of that nature. And it was actually going well, but I was, I was not brought up 
you know, it's interesting. I was brought up Greek too, but not metaphysical or spirit or sort of religious. We, we, you know, went to Easter, things like that. I was baptized, but not, not like going to church every Sunday. So I wasn't averse to things spiritual, but I also wasn't really exposed to it. It was much more artistic. I was playing piano, classical piano, those kinds of things. But I was having, as I was coming to LA, I was having these, I call them my inspiration moments mm-hmm. where I was kind of in a different, place but it was a very beautiful place it was very insightful and it would kind of go by itself I had no control over it and they got so strong it just led to this very dramatic spiritual awakening what does that mean what do you mean by that I mean being in a very very different consciousness that's called now it wasn't like a clairvoyant experience but it was literally being in another state but this state didn't really exactly leave it it just changed my perspective on life altogether. Huh. But I still didn't have a name for it. I still didn't understand what was going, but I knew it was profound and I knew it was good. And it was giving me insights into things. And then when they said, Oh, you had a metaphysical awakening. I, I couldn't get enough of it. And I was, uh, you know, just delve, but I didn't delve into groups yet. Something said, stay away. And then interestingly enough, one time uh, an old girlfriend said, oh, I know you're interested in this stuff. And, you know, there's this woman, she's going to do a, a meditation when I hadn't even done meditation yet at a dinner. Would you like to come? And at first I was going to say, no, I don't. But then some said go. And right. it was Barbara. And she did this meditation. It was like opening this ancient door again. And afterwards, I had a lot on my mind. So I guess I was pouring questions out, trying to put it all together. I thought we were having a nice conversation. She says I was interrogating her. but. I realized as I was talking to her, oh, my God, she's, she was so understated, you know, just very most matter of fact that I realized, oh, she's talking from her own experiences. Mm-hmm. It's not something she read in a book, you know. And then when right. she's talking about the heaven worlds and her experiences there, I said, okay, I think I found the one I need to study. With. Oh, I love that. And we jumped right in. But we also realized soon we both like to write. So we got involved with that. And then there was something else. It was more than just a student. I was meant to help the mission. And, you know, it, st- it took a little while. But then after a while, I said, look, we got we to gotta organize all this. At that point, Barbara had no books, nothing. You know, it was just all this library of notes. And we started to organize into what became the Institute. But then I didn't realize, oh, she's training me now to be a teacher myself and develop these inner, these inner gifts. I, I was happy being a student up to that point. And then that started a whole different trajectory. So I tell people, you know, it is true. Follow your bliss because mm-hmm. it may not be the end of the road wherever you go, but it's taking you to the next spot. If I never went to L.A., if I never followed the film career, even that wasn't my, my end of right. destiny, I, I would have been where I am today. So so you really do have. And it was a chance. I mean, I could have had a very cozy life in Chicago where my family was. But no, something said you got to go on this adventure. Right. So sometimes you got to break the mold and follow where you need to be. Again, I could have easily still had a career in film and still follow the metaphysical, but it also, in my case, was to actually be a metaphysician. Right. But I always say those the your intuition, that voice in your head that is telling you to go there. Yeah, exactly. And how many people ignore that and just sit there because it's the fear stops them or they exactly. don't know the unknown exactly. or all those things. Or the yeah. intellect says, well, that doesn't make sense or, you know, whatever. You know, that's not you know, why would you take a chance on this? You know, right. but if you look, even those that are successful in the material, they're chance takers. 
Right. They're willing to risk it all. You right. know, you don't climb a big mountain without taking some risk. So in this lifetime, I was born with extrasensory abilities, which is essentially just being able to kind of feel things beyond the five senses. I've always had a really strong clairvoyant sense, which is essentially being able to see a lot of things beyond just kind of what we see with our eyes. So I was able to see chakras and auras and ghosts and spirits at a very young age. I didn't have any real distinction between even like spirits that I saw and like real people. So a lot of the spirits that I saw, I thought were were real and walking around until I would point them out and, and other people couldn't see them. And I think that this is kind of how I worked with a lot of my abilities. I thought that everyone could see what I could see until I realized, especially getting into school for the first time, that other kids weren't able to see those things, which really made me feel like an outcast. And I think even my parents said that at around the age of two, they noticed that I was you know, seeing things and babbling or talking to things that uh, just weren't there, which was very different than, say, my brother, who was a year older. So they kind of had that balance. And, you know, like you mentioned, I was I was raised Catholic. So going to church and uh, Sunday school and things like, like that. And that was that really for my right? dad. Yeah. Did that feel right? Going to Catholic? Did you resonate with that? Do you remember that feeling? Oh, my God. I mean, like I was all in. I was like that was for me at that age. It was like, yeah, we're really talking about, you know, something that no one else can see. And that made me feel actually really in- included into in my world. And um, my mom was so worried because she totally was not Catholic and had no real kind of religious denomination. And uh, she just grinned and bared the Sunday church every week. And um, when I was definitely like less than 10, maybe like eight or nine years old, I told her, I'm like, I'm going to be a nun. Like I feel called into like, you know, sharing this message because once again, that was my only framework. And even at six, I told my dad that I was talking to God once again within my framework. And uh, he's like, Oh really? You know, tell me what, what was God telling you? What was God saying? And, And I said, well, the Bible has it all wrong, right? The the Bible and church say that God is a man, but I've been talking to God and God's actually a woman, right? And I I just love it. I love the audacity that I had at that age to, to just say the whole religion is wrong based on my experience. But I also really believe that that's how a lot of religions got started. Someone had a vision, someone had a connection to something that no one else had, and they completely misinterpreted it and created, you know, basically a cult around it. Right. Right. So, yeah, so I was definitely, I was all in, you know, at a young age, but then when I was having a really hard time, like fitting in and making friends at around the age of 10, I decided to shut down all of my abilities. And I remember looking at all my classmates at that time and asking, what are the popular kids doing? Like, well, I need to do whatever they're doing. And they were all involved in sports. So I'm like, cool, I'll just do that. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so I got involved in pretty much every sport you could think of. um, Soccer, rugby, volleyball, basketball, like just everything, kickboxing, karate, all of the things. And I was pretty good at whatever I tried. And I made a lot of friends. So all of a sudden, I went from a very metaphysical reality to an extremely physical reality and dropped all of my metaphysical connections And that went on until, you know, teenagehood. So I, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 
But when I was around 14, 15, I started to really kind of suffer with a lot of depression, a lot of questioning, a lot of doubt, a lot of fear. And one of my biggest things, especially getting into high school, was what's the meaning of life? What is this? You know, why are we here? What's the purpose? What's the point? And so I went to every authority figure I knew existed and I asked them that question. And so I went to counselors and therapists and, you know, I went to school guidance counselors and high school teachers and um, high school friends, parents, just to ask, you know, what's the meaning of life? I even went to a priest to say, all right, you're the, you're the guy in charge, right? Like, tell me, like, what are we doing here? Hmm. And no one could give me a straight answer. Like, No one satisfied my curiosity, my, my need for knowledge. And so I just felt really lost. Um, and I th- even thought to myself at 16, you know, if this is it, like if going to school, going to more school, getting into debt, landing a nine to five, having a bunch of babies and, and dying, you know, if that, that's really the, the meaning of life and everyone's happy with that, then count me out. Like, that's not what I want. Like, that's not going to serve me. And so it was my dad, surprisingly enough, the Catholic one, who was also an engineer, who said, hey, you know, would you be interested in this past life regression? So as he was going to university for engineering, he ended up studying past life regression on the side, which is really cool. That's crazy to me. When I heard that, I was like, what the heck? What a contrast. I was a diplomatic protection agent. I worked for a company based in Fairfax, Virginia, that was owned by the son-in-law of former President Gerald Ford. And so I was in international security. It was a high threat environment. I was under a lot of stress and three years of training and then three years of service in the field. And I became ill for unknown reasons. It turned out 15 years later, I found out I had Lyme disease and a few other things. But it was uh, very painful. And after a couple of years, I had to medically retire in 2001. The doctors tried to figure out what was wrong with me. All I wanted was to go back to work. I loved the travel and the excitement and sort of exercising and feeling important was a a big deal for me. So seven years later, after I retired, the doctor handed me a fentanyl lollipop and said, this is your only hope. And about five years later, I had a near-death experience from the fentanyl, from being on the fentanyl for four or five years. So after I woke up from that near-death experience, that's the one that uncovered the magic or brought the magic forward. And I woke up and I could perceive multidimensionally. Of course, I had no context whatsoever or even knew that word or or the word spirituality or chakra or, you know, meridian. I had never heard subtle bodies, light body. What's that? You know, and talking to trees, talking to animals, talking to dead people, you know, hearing people's thoughts and hearing the trauma trapped within people's nervous system. That was pretty fascinating. So it was a lot of voices. It was a lot of hearing very clear audience, very clear cognizant as well. The knowing, clairsentient, the feeling, empathic. Yeah, I had that down. <laughs> you know, I could pretty much feel everything, people's pain, people's emotions. In fact, I just got home from the grocery store and I said to my husband, I think I brought some sadness home with me, huh. you know. So it's definitely something I still manage on a daily basis, but I've learned to uncover the reasons why 
those experiences happened over years, you know, years and, and not just a few weekends a year, like every single day, hours, every day, paying money, hand over fist to talk to people, to talk to psychics, alternative medical practitioners, uh, you know, anybody that would talk to me, taking classes, traveling. And the most profound shift for me was when I went to Australia and worked with an Aboriginal woman that I just stumbled on by not happen chance. I'm sure it was some sort of synchronicity. Um, I had been on a journey for two years after my near-death experience, and I kept being called to go to Australia. I just felt that that was the first place on earth I ever incarnated, and I really needed to go there. And I had to lay on the ground right at Uluru Airs Rock. I took a oh. towel from the the hostel where I was staying, and I just laid on the earth and had a pretty remarkable experience. And right after then, I was contacted by an Aboriginal woman through a friend, and that was the most revelatory conversation I had had in the two years since my near-death experience. And that really informed my journey and my trajectory after that. But that's pretty much how it all started. And because I had all of this knowing, but I really didn't know anything because I didn't understand anything at all. You know, I was hearing things and I was seeing things and I was feeling things. But I had no context. I had no idea of the symbolism or the metaphor or what religion the perspective belonged to or, you know, right. whose energetic perspective that was. Was it indigenous? Was it Vedic? Was it Tibetan Buddhist? Was it Shinto? You know, Taoist or what have you. So it took me a while to study and get my feet wet in a lot of different philosophies so that I could sort of have a, I want to say 360 degree view, but if I do, there's a lot of holes in that 360 degree view to be sure. But I think a well-rounded, at least for a layman, you know, for a complete newbie (laughs) understanding of what was happening to me. And then after that, my intersubjectivity, my ability. So we all have an objective reality, right? Every, you know, sort of objective reality is we live in this city, you know, you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're this religion or that religion. And then our subjective reality is what do we believe? The rightness or the wrongness of it, you know, our life experience, how we perceive the world. And then intersubjectivity is something, somehow my soul gifted me, which is the ability to hold space, unconditionally loving and support and validate everybody's subjective reality, no matter what it was and whether or not it even conflicted with mine. And so that's what gets me really excited. And I think one of the things that gets you excited is talking about the energetic constructs and consciousness and how we got to this place and how we can heal ourselves and That's the part of these interviews that really gets me going. Yeah, you know, if you'd asked me 35 years ago, if I'd be doing this full time, I wouldn't even have entered my mind. But back in the early mid 90s, I started having some visions and I didn't really know what they were. I thought maybe they were associated with the building that I was living in at that time. I was living in Chicago. It was an older building. 
And so I started researching some of that ghosts and past lives and things like that. And I'd already, I'd already kind of been into metaphysics at that point. And somewhere along the way, as I was doing that research, I came across channeling and I didn't really know what it was. I didn't know anybody who did it. I just knew within myself that it was something that I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I got a couple of books and there wasn't a lot out there at that time. There was the Seth material. I think uh, Barbara Marciniak might have had her first book out, Sinea Roman, but there really wasn't a whole lot. And so I started doing some of the exercises in the books and I was trying to channel verbally and I would have physical experiences like I would tingle and my eyes would flutter, but I couldn't get the words out. And at the time, I was also doing a lot of work on myself and I was studying meditation. And so I would sit down to practice, but I just couldn't have that breakthrough. It wasn't happening. And probably about, honestly, I don't even know, nine months to a year, somewhere in that that time frame, I sat down one day and I knew I was supposed to have pen and paper. And it's at that point I started doing automatic writing. And I had a lot of different guides come in. I worked with angelics. I worked with beings from different star systems. And again, probably about nine months or so, the Pleiadian Collective came in. And they're the group that I work with primarily when I work with the public. But they were waiting for me to channel verbally before they came in. And it was around that time that I was hearing everything well in advance of writing it. And they were like, you need to put the pen down. (laughs) It's time. So it just took me a while to kind of acclimate to the process itself before I could allow everything just to flow through. Let me, before you continue, when you know it's a Palladian, they're telling you where the Palladians? I mean, how do you know that? Well, I always say it's like, how do you know anybody is who they say they are? Right. You know, how do I know that you are who you say you are? So I think there's an element of trust that goes along with it. How does it resonate within us? Does it resonate as truth? And that's something that my guides have also kind of taught me as, as we've gone over the years. It's, it's really important for me to trust in myself. And if something doesn't resonate with me, then, you know, um, let it go. You know, I can, I, I learned early on as I was practicing and I was working with some friends when the energy does shift. If, if I'm not holding resonance and other beings start coming in, the energy shifts and it doesn't feel great. It's some of these lower beings and you learn that through experience. It's just like meeting somebody on the street and they're not necessarily the person that you want to hang with. You know, they're not somebody that you feel a deep connection and you might even notice that you have a sense of, oh, it's not safe to really connect with this person. And so it's the same interdimensionally. We just have to learn to trust our own intuition. So that was their magic in their lives, how they uncovered it. And now we're going to go into how each of them, what they really focus on and what they've been drawn to after they uncovered their magic. You'll you'll be fascinated at the little excerpts that I've picked from each of these episodes and what their stories meant to me and where I grew from each one. All five of them really, really, really taught me a lot this year. So enjoy the next little excerpts from these five beautiful souls. I'll I'll try to give a super quick overview. If you know what the chakras are, then you have a leg up on understanding the densities, right? 
because the densities, you could think of them as the chakras of the universe in a sense. They are the seven layers of experience that consciousness evolves through as it progresses through evolution and reincarnation. So the law of one says we all begin as pure matter in the first density correlating to the root chakra, earth, water, fire, air, and space. And the law of one says consciousness experiences a few billion years of that interaction until we know eventually microbial life begins to form in the ocean. And then, you know, insects, plants, animals, fish, everything in that spectrum, everything that has growth and movement that, that can interact with its environment. That's the second density of consciousness, which correlates to the sacral chakra. And then we get to the third density once the um, attribute of self-awareness evolves. And that happened for human beings. No one knows how long ago, maybe probably a few hundred thousand years ago, maybe millions of years ago. But it's that point where, in my theory, is it would be somewhere around the advent of language. Whenever language was, was, began to be used, that's the labeling mechanism of the mind where we, we start making noises to refer to objects, right? Right. And at a certain point, once that language system, you know, it probably started with like, once we were, you know, ancient hominids, ape-like creatures, probably like right. guttural noises like apes make. Right. And slowly that evolved into more complex sounds. And at a certain point, the apes would have made noises to refer to one another. Because that's also very helpful, right? You all get a name so we can all just make whoever's name we want and get that ape's attention to do something we want. So at that point, I think is probably when self-awareness happened because once I'm given a name, then the mind can kind of do this about face and flip in on itself and then becomes an object to itself. And that's when the ego is born. That knowledge of I exist, I am, the mind begins to hijack that I am-ness and then put it on labels. I'm this person. I'm this body. I'm this story character. I want this. I'm thinking that. I'm feeling that. I'm doing that. So that's the third density, which I don't know if I've said in a video, you made the comment a second ago, consciousness kindergarten, right? If I did say that, I, that's not as accurate as it could be. I think third density is more like consciousness, junior high school. Oh, okay. Because consciousness kindergarten would be like first or second density, right? You're learning your ABCs, right. what okay. is awareness, but third density, just like junior high is the most challenging period of one's soul's evolutionary yes. journey. Because in third density, the whole point, Ross says, is that we are here to choose a polarity, positive or negative. And so we spend probably hundreds of lifetimes reincarnating as a human and experiencing the darkness and the light in life. And it's supposed to be this way. It's supposed to be challenging because it's supposed to force you to make a decision because there's a lot of suffering in this density level. So you either say, I'm so tired of suffering. I want freedom. I have to choose the path of love. Love is my freedom, my salvation. And that is what allows the soul to evolve towards fourth density, which is the awareness of oneness or unity consciousness, where the mind, the consciousness has evolved enough to say, okay, yeah, it's true that we're in separate bodies. Third density would be the, the belief in separation. Mm -hmm. It's true that we're in separate bodies, sort of, but it's clear that we're all one essence. We're all the same energy, just knowing itself in a million varieties. So let's love one another. Let's get along. Let's work together. That's going to make a much better world for us than this third density world of tribalism and warfare and separation. 
So that's the period that we're in right now, Ross says, of making this transition from a third density planet to a fourth density planet. 2012 is when this Earth went from three to four, right? To the fourth density. Yes. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, the Mayan calendar thing. Right. Each density has a certain period of time, Ross says, that it lasts for. Planetary cycles, you might think of it. And Ross says third density is incredibly short compared to all the others because it's so intense. So the creator is very merciful in that sense that it doesn't make us stay here for millions of years, but just about 75,000, Ross says. 75,000 years is about how long it takes for the earth to become magnetized to fourth density. And so we're in 2012, we hit that point of our third cycle of 25,000 years, finishing third density, which means now our planet has to be magnetized to the next density level. Ross says like the striking of the hour on a clock. So you can see that in our planet, right? We're clearly trying to learn these lessons of oneness and unity and healing all the separation on our planet. But it's, these are tough lessons. It's, it's like a planetary shadow work that we're doing right now. Well, I'm glad you're asking that. You know, we started a series called the compassionate earth because a lot of people think, Oh, we're, you know, gloom and doom. The world's at the end, the sky is falling, we're all going to destroy ourselves. And we do see terrible things happening in the world, but that's not how the higher sees it. The higher sees things as getting better, not worse. So we have to be careful. If you look at the last hundred years, just the quality of living of humanity on earth, it has dramatically increased from where it was. How many people lived in poverty, abject poverty, 100 years ago compared to today? No, it's still not where it needs to be. I'm not saying we're living in a perfect world, but the last 150, 200 years has been seismic. And that's part of this preparation for, yes, a spiritual renaissance. Now, you know, for for you and I to talk like this, even, you know, 20, 30 years ago, maybe 40 years ago, it would have been unheard of. Right. And to learn these things, you'd have to have been in an ashram or a mystery school. You'd have to be in one of these special places. So the fact that so many people are interested and it's not coming from just one part of the world or one person means there is this flowering of consciousness. And that's not accidental. That's part of the evolution of, of humanity. And yes, we are heading, we call it sort of the new day. There is a new era starting. We're not there yet. It's not happened yet, but we're moving in that direction. And there may be some setbacks before we get there, but we're moving in that direction. And right now it's more important than Ever to stay close to your spiritual nature, as Barbara would say, there's never been a better time to grow spiritually than today. So then I go off to university at 18. And, you know, I don't really believe in the education system at all, but I'm actually really grateful for the space that university gave me um, to get away from home, but not really to enter into the real world right away. And so The first year of university, it was like, finally, I found my freedom. I started doing a massive amount of art and and just kind of stepping back into my creativity. And then all of my psychic and spiritual abilities started coming back because I think I was living on my own and I had that kind of freedom to explore. And what I ended up doing was I took my dad's past life regression notes from his notebook and I ended up copying them into my own notebook. And so when I went away to university, I kind of used past life regression as a way to make friends. So I'd be like, hey, you in my poli-sci class, you want to know something cool? Do you believe in reincarnation? Have you ever thought you lived before? You know, do you think you're an old soul? 
And if they were even slightly interested, you know, I'd be all excited. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's how I made friends. And and I started doing regressions myself. And and that was fantastic because now I I got to observe people going through different lifetimes and take them on that journey of, of discovery. It didn't really feel like it impacted most of them like it impacted me at the time. I'm not sure why. But at a certain point in time, I realized that I wasn't able to fully regress everyone in that way. They weren't able to fully let go of their attachment to this reality and this identity. So I started to ask myself, is it possible for me to essentially regress myself, put myself into a trance-like state and tap into their lifetimes and their Akashic records and their information? So I started doing this. And yeah, it took me a while. It took me like 30, 45 minutes of just sitting there, meditating, sweating, because I had this person in front of me, and then finally just picking up on the tiniest bit of information. And so that's kind of how I started bringing my abilities back. I started doing a lot of lucid dreaming work, astral traveling, remote viewing work, telepathy, even really exploring things like telekinesis. Yeah, and I was interested in things like spirit guides as well. And of course, reviewing as many past lives of my own as possible. And so one of the past lives that I had was I was a a man, a yogi in Burma, and I studied this technique, this meditation technique called Vipassana. So I ended up looking it up and it turns out there was a Vipassana center like two hours away from my university. So I'm like, oh my God, I have to go. So I packed up my things. I took my bag and it's this 10 day silent meditation retreat. And so on the second night of this silent meditation retreat, I ended up getting like full on consciously abducted by interdimensional beings right out of my bed. And it was really scary, you know? And so that was kind of my, I always call it like my second greatest awakening or reawakening to understand that, oh my goodness, aliens are real. They're here. They're interacting with us. So what does that mean? You know, who are we? Why would they even bother with us? And what are they doing when they take us? Like, what is the greater purpose? And then I started asking, you know, myself, well, if aliens are real and we're humans and we've been humans and animals and plants and other things before reincarnated, then have we been them? And can we be them again? And so I started doing off-planet past life regressions and discovering that whole world. Shortly after that abduction, I was contacted by the Galactic Federation, which is something that I'm very known for today. And so I started, you know, communicating telepathically, remote viewing the Galactic Federation mothership, basically receiving as much information as possible from them for humanity. And that was all 2010, 2011. And it took me until 2016 to actually go online and talk about all the things that I was channeling and downloading and receiving from different beings and my higher self and the the planetary matrix. And so, yeah. And so since then, you know, it's just been a journey of unpacking, unraveling, navigating all of that great stuff to get me to this point now where I feel like I've got a pretty comprehensive view of the bigger picture. Not that I'm ever even going to be close to having it all, but I feel like all of my curiosity for so many years has been quenched a little bit at this time. You're a question asker and you are so like, why is this? You know, it's always like you're, I always talk about your questions like that. 
what you just reminded me, like, you're always like, I'm going to go up to the Galactic Federation and ask, you know, channel there, but it go to where you, you got abducted. You see the actual being, the alien, the Galactic Federation, what species, <laughs> what do you call them that came to get you that abducted you? Yeah. Explain so that the, because you the, see them. Yeah, the beings who abducted me when I was 18 from the meditation retreat, they were not a part of the Galactic Federation. They okay. were they were some pretty dark beings, actually. They were uh, considered tall whites. And now what I know about the tall whites is they have a lot of contracts with the government. So they basically exchange their technology for government information and for the ability to abduct people. So it's kind of like the government says, yeah, you're allowed to abduct 30,000 people a year in our country or whatever. And in exchange, they'll kind of pass along their their technology. So they essentially just abducted me just to track me, just to observe me, just for curiosity. But I think I was a little bit more aware than most of their abductees. And, you know, I was able to kind of detach from, <laughs> from their watchful eye in a sense. And I also know that I was supposed to have a very fear-based abduction or experience with ETs right off the bat to help me have compassion for other humans who have been abducted, who feel really fearful about aliens and ETs, because most of my experiences with them uh, have been really pleasant, like really, really beautiful. So I know that I had to have that sort of experience in order to understand the full picture of the abduction experience. Will you talk about the animals? I try to get everything, how that started. Because, okay, here I am at this, I've always had dogs. And I, after listening to your dogs and how you said there's, is it Daisy that was a dolphin? Daisy, has a dolphin yeah. energy. Mm -hmm. And then Frankie, you had him come to you in a dream or something. Mm -hmm. But you, it's about the horses too. Explain how, and the plants. How do you go through life and you I mean, I can't imagine going to the zoo or <laughs> through a through a forest and having the voices talk to you. Well, again, I have boundaries now. And I think maybe the key point that I didn't sort of button up that previous conversation about the boundaries is it's you can't just erect boundaries one day. If anybody says you can, they're taking their money and you're, you know, they're blowing smoke up your skirt. It's just not true. <laughs> We have to find the resistance to ethical boundaries and a balanced way of being within us. And it's usually judgment, fear, or emotion that creates the imbalance. So for me, I, for the most part, have that now. But every once in a while, I, step, I sort of trip over a rock that I didn't see coming, whether it's a, a new client and I never worked with that soul lineage before or what have you. Now, working with the animals was never my idea. My husband and I had horses. We've owned 20 horses and donkeys, mostly horses. We've owned five donkeys. And we've had dogs our whole, we've always been sort of animal people. And prior to my near death, we've had several horses. But on my journey, all I ever intended was to understand what was happening to me and heal myself and get a life again, some... You know, I thought I'd go get a job or be an accountant or, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not kidding, you know, because I used to write grants after I retired, you know, from security because I majored in economics and I had a background in understanding business. 
So I thought, you know, I'd go volunteer at the YMCA and write their grants or (laughs) whatever that looked like. (laughs) And I just wanted to heal myself. And yes, I could talk, I could hear them and stuff. And it was kind of, it was always a curiosity or something interesting when you would go to a four day retreat or a one week retreat. And I'm like, oh, the aunt just said a message. And it was, was a novelty to me. I didn't realize it was an entire industry, a very sort of circle the wagons and shoot each other industry, if you ask me, because nobody can, you know, agree on what is animal communication. They all made it up themselves and they're right and everybody else is wrong. And it's quite frankly, not a lot of fun sort of trying to navigate in that community. So I never would have volunteered, never would have volunteered. I was working with people and I didn't even want to do that. All the healers that I was working with were saying, you're healing me. You're giving me so much information. I'm not going to charge you for your session. I think I have a client you can help. And I did have a lot of um, referrals from some really interesting stuff, very esoteric, you know, sort of mind bending past life stuff that was um, really remarkable. And I enjoyed it. And I just loved it so much. Within months, I was on the phone like 12 hours a day, 10 to 12 hours a day. I had clients all over the world in easily a dozen or 15 or 16 countries. And it was getting a little bit out of hand. But as that happened, people's animals started coming in. And I would say, well, there's a white cat in your energy field. Do you have a white cat? No, but my girlfriend did and it died. Well, the cat's telling me that you're pretty much a jerk and it's not leaving your energy field until you apologize for being so mean to it. And he's like, yeah, that's true. (laughs) You know, and um, or one woman, I said, do you have a a horse that is alive, but they're blind in one eye? Your horse wants to talk to you. And then so they'll have a conversation or a pet from when they were younger or a neighborhood animal. And they would either bring beautiful messages forward or ask for healing or offer something for their former owners, the human. A lot of times seeking resolution at the soul level, which happens to be kind of one of my specialties, I guess. You know, we all have a lane. I don't claim to do everything or know everything, but I have a really interesting lane And so those types of clients come to me, people that can't manage their energy field, people that have attachments or entanglements with other lifetimes and, you know, interesting stuff like that. So I didn't think that was good or entertaining or productive for me. I thought it was, it was bothering me. I thought it was getting in the way. So one day I meditated and I'm like, okay, whoever my team is, you know, right. What's going on with all these animals? You know, it's really bothering me. You need to tell these animals, they're bothering me. Go away. (laughs) Help people. You know, this is really important stuff here. And this giant horse appeared in my room, who is a part of the soul family of horse, who is, I guess, on some sort of soul council. I don't know how the universe works, but that's how it's revealed to me. 13 horses on a soul council. And she says, oh, you don't remember. And I'm like, firstly, you're really big no remember what and she said we brought you back from your near-death experience we are the ones that guided you on your rather circuitous but very educational journey to overcoming your own trauma and abuse and understanding you know the chakra system the meridian system the nervous system subconscious conscious subtle bodies light bodies we did that 
We guided you. And now it's time for you to do something for us. Yes. So we're, we are a grand experiment. That's how the guides kind of describe this. So we have genetic material from thousands of worlds. And the point of the game was to see if we could go into density as divine beings of light who have access to everything and to see if we could come out of it. Because once you incarnate, you kind of partition off all that knowledge, all that wisdom, and and we operate under the illusion of separation. So can we learn how to be one with all that is again? And so it's much easier to do when you've got a wide range of emotions. And the way that we get that is through genetic material. So along with all the genetic material from these thousands of worlds is the emotional experience that these beings have had. So we have access to all of that. So it's like having 10,000 Legos to work with. And what can you build with 10,000 Legos as opposed to 100? So there's a lot more that we can do and, and that we can explore. And so, you know, that's that's kind of what we're here trying to do and very early on, the Pleiadians would talk about big picture stuff. They'd talk about what's happening in different parts of the galaxy, different star systems. And then over the years, it kind of came back more to the process of manifestation and really looking at our personal lives and, and what we need to do internally. So when I asked them about that, they said, you know, at the beginning in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, the aughts, it was about opening up to something bigger. And then once we were open and we had that awareness, then we needed to come back and start looking at our own lives and because that's where all our power is. And so really for the better part of the last 10 years, they've spent a lot of time talking about the process of manifestation. But if I look back at the entire journey, their message has been the same for the whole time. If I go back and listen to some of the older recordings, um, it's it's kind of amazing. It, it could have been last week. Right. Oh, that's interesting. But it is about manifestation and getting to the feeling place. And they always talk about being compa- having compassion. And though it neat, the thing that I understood was because we are in this 3D world, we know how to suffer anxiety, all the, this low vibrational, high, lower frequency emotions. So if we can learn the compassion, that's the, the frequency. Explain that. Cause that was cool to hear that way of explaining it. Yeah. So it's, it's really about non-judgment. So the process of integration is what allows us to increase in frequency. Integration is releasing judgment. So we live in a dualistic universe. Everything has its polar opposites. So we've got light, dark, male, female, positive, negative, and both polarities are part of source energy. So the moment we set up judgment, that something is better than or less than, we want to make ourselves separate from that thing that we don't like. Right. And in essence, what we're doing is trying to create separation between source energy, between ourselves and source energy, which is impossible to do. It's an illusion. And we cut off half of source energy. So what the guides teach is learning how to release that judgment. And one of the ways that you do that is through compassion, gratitude, appreciation. So as we can hold those resonances, as opposed to the programs of lack, limitation, and separation, the resonance of fear, 
then we're living up in a higher frequency state. And the higher we go, we get closer to 5D reality. And eventually, as we sustain that, we cross the dimensional barrier and we start playing in a new game, a new construct. Right, and that we can do that right now. Right now, the way they describe it, 3D has very fixed rules to the paradigm, to the game. And then 5D has very fixed rules. And because they're so different, they say we needed an entire dimensional range to transit through that, to make that shift. So 4D is a very malleable dimension where you can um, project either 3D or 5D rules onto the matrix. So at any given time, depending on where your consciousness is, you can operate under the illusion of 3D. Even though we're not in 3D, we operate as if we are. We project that into the fourth dimensional range where we are, or we can project the fifth dimensional perspective on. The challenge is that we, we don't stay there. So we can go up there, but then we fall out pretty quickly. So we can access that fifth dimensional level of consciousness, but the problem is we can't sustain it. And that takes practice and repetition. And that's kind of what we're working on now. We're working on our mastery. Right. So you had explained, and I think it was tuning in. I was watching that documentary, which I absolutely loved and sent that to every friend. I (laughs) I just was like, see again, where have you been all my life? Even your website is higher frequencies. Everything is on that. Your Instagram, everything about you. That would be the words I would use. Besides, I mean, other ones. But you talk about as you're on a building, and you've raised your vibration and say you're at the top floor, you throw, you can have anything, throw that boomerang out and you're waiting for it to come back because we have, we can't expect it to look the way we want it to look, what we want to manifest. Say it's a relationship and you pictured this guy that was coming back and it's not, they have their own idea of this man, but you've lowered your vibe. You've gone down the floors of this building and the boomerang came back and you weren't there to receive it. Right. So that's kind of a their example of how we manifest. So we're constantly pulsing out frequency, either at the subconscious or, or hopefully at the conscious level, we're directing the energy flow. And in order to perceive what is being reflected back to us, we have to be in a, in a vibrational match with it. We have to be in resonance with it. So most of what we want to create is of a very high vibrational nature. And so we'll put ourselves in alignment with that, but we can't sustain it because then we start to doubt and worry, is it going to show up? It's taking too long. (laughs) This should have showed up already. I'm not deserving. I'm not lovable. And so, yes, then we drop out of resonance. We can't perceive it. It's still there. We're just out of sync with it. So when you have a practice of coming back to your heart-centered space, then you can elevate your frequency so that you can perceive it as the universe is bringing it back to you. In the process of manifestation, it's our responsibility to work with frequency. What is it that we're pulsing out and what is the frequency of what is being reflected back to us? And the universe is responsible for the form. And now to wrap it up, and talk about this, where we're going. Each of them has a different way of saying it and believing in it and explaining it, but they all changed my life and changed the way I look at this evolution, why we are here, where we're going. You know, Aaron talks about the densities and how we're moving into the fourth density. And that's 
amazing and that, you know, how soon we'll see this in our future. We talk about that. We talk about Dimitri's description of God. You know, I asked him that question that day I'll never forget. And he was like, oh my gosh, we could spend an entire episode on this subject. But that's a beautiful part I loved. I wanted to share that again. And then how Elizabeth talks about living in the new earth now, like we can live in it now. You know, the vibration is so important in our alignment. And after that episode, I remember going on a walk thinking, I am living in the new earth. I do live in that place. And I love how she describes that. And then with Ginny and talking about your chakras and clearing and healing and, you know, moving from your lower chakras up to your higher chakras and She's a, such an amazing teacher. She means a lot to me in my growth, for sure. And then Wendy, oh my gosh, she's going to talk about her time explanation and how we all chose to be here right now. We are so powerful. So enjoy the last little moments of this episode with these beautiful people that I am so grateful for. And I look forward to a new year with all of you and opening new doors, uncovering more magic and becoming more of the person we are meant to be here in this, in this body at this time. I wish you all the best and I love you all. Have a wonderful 2023. Well, we're at a very pivotal point in our planet's evolution. We are doing our collective shadow work, I think, to heal our third density scars so that we can truly transition to fourth density, just like we have to do it individually, right? And the thing is, everybody thinks they're on the side of of good, you know, and they're doing the right thing. One side of people are saying, hey, you're forcing us to take an unvalidated medical product, and you're a company that has a long list of criminal history of pushing medications on people that cause death and illness and lying about your medications? Why should we be forced against our will to trust that your medication is safe? And so that's what they're protesting. The other side is saying, oh, come on, you want to kill grandma, you know, all that stuff. You don't care about people. Just take the thing, just do it, just comply. And it's like both people think they have the the good, virtuous, noble cause. So that there's a catalyst, right? Who's right and who's wrong? And I think our planet has been, as we all know at this point, sort of been run by service to self forces secretly at the highest levels of power, who are the people who kind of trickle down all the movements on this planet of what happens and where the money goes and what wars happen and what leaders get elected and stuff. And we're just waking up to this fact that, hey, we've got to stop outsourcing our power to to people above us. You know, this, this enormous gap of wealth and inequality in our world of the 99 and the 1%, that's a kind of sickness on our planet. That's not, that's moving towards a service to self planet, right? Of total Mm -hmm. control and tyranny and domination. And so people are saying, Hey, we don't want this to be a service to self planet. We want this to be a service to others planet, a positively polarized planet, which means we do need to raise awareness to some extent about the forms of shadows on our planet. We need to heal, but we also can't do it in a way that is coming at it with the same energy. We can't be negative and attacking and judgmental. We have to forgive those who would seek to abuse us and control us, see them as one with us and love them. And that's how we raise the vibration of the planet. So I'm, I'm very optimistic in that. I think we are moving the right direction. I think we're going through that dark night period right. where you got to look at your shit. 
You got to look at the shadows and be able to see them fully in all their darkness and love them and forgive them. And we're slowly learning how to do that. At first, it's scary, right? I don't want to see this. I don't want to know that this is the true nature of things. I don't want to accept this as part of me. But slowly, you realize there's no choice but to accept it. That's the only way forward. Right. And I think we're stepping into that now. And I think we've got a lot more chaos ahead probably in coming years. But Ra says that the transition will take between 100 to 700 years to fully evolve to a fourth density planet, depending on the speed of our evolution. And I really think at a certain point when enough of humanity, maybe 51% or more, I don't know, Mm -hmm. acknowledges that there are positive ETs here that want to be of service to us and help us in this evolution, I think that will be a really powerful catalyst to speed things up. And so that's a big part of um, my own, you know, career path of teaching the law of one is to get this information out there and awaken the collective consciousness that yes, extraterrestrials are absolutely real. Here's how it works. And if we want contact with them, here's what we got to do. Stop seeing them as our enemies. Stop seeing them as a threat because they're not going to contact us if if they think we are, right? Right. And uh, that's, you know, a very exciting thing that I think we might be 50 years or less away from, or it might be a few hundred, I don't know, but I always take the optimistic route at the end of the day. Right. So you feel like that is a possibility in, in, I mean, I'm older than you, but in this lifetime of yours. Certainly. Yeah. That you will see that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it won't happen like, oh, they're just going to land on the White House front lawn or something. I think more and more channeled works like the law of one will start coming through. Mm-hmm. And I even think that if there are certain segments of society as I think society will kind of continue to divide like a cell, you know, at the left and the right or the blue and the red and people that want to be in free states or people that want to be in liberal states will kind of go their separate ways. I think pockets of communities will form where there might be an entire, you know, town or city that's completely on board with this stuff, which means that an extraterrestrial race might start communicating with them. Oh, okay. But only to them. And then that information has to get out and, Hey, you hear what's happening down here or down there. They have all these amazing texts coming out and slowly we awaken to the presence of these extraterrestrial beings. I think it'll happen more like that than just Mm -hmm. UFOs, you know, appearing in the sky. So the metaphysical perspective on God? Sure. That's a massive topic. It is. Okay. Uh, Only in the sense that you could say in the world today, there's a lot of redefining or re-understanding of God, right? Because there's been often a very structured understanding of what God is. And of course, when we're talking about the infinite, human understanding will always be imperfect. And there's no institution that can say, hey, I've got the handle on what God's all about. Because you're talking about the creator of all that is as ever will be, you know? So the key is, we are these infinite sparks of life, meaning your soul, my soul, has always existed and always will. Now, it may not always exist in human form, but it will always exist. When it came time to have the human experience, long before we began any incarnation, we were born of God in this human experience. We were born in this highest celestial kingdom. But we were like infants. We were, you you know, we were babies, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. And God said, for you to learn and grow, you need to go out into creation. 
So God planted us in the garden of creation, not because we were bad or evil or anything like that, but we had to learn. We had to learn in, in the experience of life. And the whole evolutionary process is to get back to that divine source from where we came, but not as infants, as fully matured humans, co-creative, participating in the, the spiritual processes of life. So we're trying, you know, in metaphysics, we talk about enlightenment. Enlightenment is the experience of the God within. We live in God by God by faith now. We say, I'd be willing to die for God. I'll be do anything for God. We're doing that as an act of faith, an act of the sensing. I know God is, but not saying like Yogananda would say, seeing God face to face while in the physical body. Mm -hmm. But through the process of enlightenment, you do have that awakening. And now you know God is. One of my own early experiences of being on the other side was, yes, being in this beautiful environment, you know, very idyllic, rolling hills and buildings and things like that. But that wasn't what was so startling. It was the godly presence. It was everywhere. It was in the atmosphere. You didn't question if God existed. Now, when I came back, of course, I was in a high for days after that experience, just being there. But also I realized later, oh, they were teaching me something. Mm -hmm. They were saying you have to bring that vibration, that godly vibration that you experience in that realm. You need to bring it where you are right now here in your physical life. We got to build, you know, heaven isn't just a place. It's a state of consciousness. Right. And as we say in chapter one of the, of the book, you don't go to heaven, you grow. Grow, yes. So you got to make, you, once you are of that heavenly vibration here, mm -hmm. then yeah, then you, it will correspond to that level there. And we'll all eventually get there. Maybe not all in this life, but it takes many lifetimes, just like you could have the best, grade and first, second grade, but it doesn't mean you're ready for your PhD yet, right? You, you still have to go through all the grades of learning, all the evolution. There are many spiritual dimensions of life that lead into heaven. And in the Heaven Your Spiritual Evolution book, we found this great, I don't know if you've ever been to Quest Haven here in the- No, city. I haven't. Oh, it's worth going there. It's oh, a Laura, Laura Newhouse. She was a Christian mystic and he worked there for years. He's an artist and he did the illustrations for us, and we tried to show the stages mm -hmm. as you go through the astral, the mental, the causal, the etheric, and eventually the heavenly. And each stage, you're unfolding some facet of your mystical nature. You're trying to awaken this inner mystical life and bring it to full bloom. We talk a lot about you know, the vibration and how start now, don't wait for the new earth. And what would you tell people? How did they do that? There's a lot of things. What I would say is the first thing is to let go of any and all limiting beliefs. So I'm like, I can't do that, or I'm not good at manifesting, or, you know, really just pay attention to your own thoughts. Because I would say, you know, the, the most powerful thing is anything that we focus on is what we create in our reality. And quantum physics will also prove that fact as well as that, you know, our consciousness creates this material world. So when we think about things, when we worry about things, when we have anxieties around things, it will create those anxieties and worries into existence. So the first thing is take full responsibility over your life, over what's working, over what's not working, and then choose to change it. And the way that you change it is just focusing on what you do want rather than focusing on what you don't want. And that's a really, really great place to start because you can't step into your, 
you know, hybrid DNA. You can't step into your psychic abilities if you're in that fight or flight, if you're utilizing that survival mindset. You got to get to a place where your bills are paid, where you're manifesting your dream life, where you're moving to, you know, a place that feels more comfortable and all of those things. And then at that point where life is good, you can then say, okay, well, what's next from here? But you shouldn't be tapping into abilities to escape this reality. And that's why you want to make sure that you're aligned before you start on that. Yeah, good question. So there's going to be quite a few years of, it's not like we wake up one day and like life is just beautiful and there's butterflies roaming around. And uh, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think individually we can choose a life like that. I've got this beautiful property and I wake up and there are butterflies everywhere. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm in it. I'm in New York. You know, <laughs> right. I'm not affected by that reality. So we can choose to enter into that individually. We don't have to wait collectively. I think we're going to have a lot of years of shifting into the solutions of purging out the darkness. And one of my questions to the Galactic Federation many years ago was, so we're in a binary universe. We're in a polarized universe. We're in a universe where light and dark does exist. So I said, if we're eradicating the darkness on the planet, then like, what what does that mean? Like that kind of worries me. Like, you know, if we live in a polarity universe, like how can we just be all light? And they said, no, 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 you're, you're misinterpreting it. Cause I'm like, where does the darkness go? And what they said is, and, and hopefully I'll relay this appropriately, but They said that, you know, right now on the planet, we have a huge uh, difference between the darkest of the dark, you know, people, okay, lowest vibration individuals on the planet. And then we have some of the highest individuals on the planet, highest vibrational individuals on the planet. It's very extreme. And they said, what's happening with the new earth frequency is we all individually understand that we have both the highest vibrational light and the lowest vibrational darkness within ourselves. So we're actually eradicating the extremes of the light and the dark, and we're bringing balance and unity to ourselves by accepting both the light and the dark within ourselves. And therefore, we balance the entire planet with unity within ourselves and therefore unity within the global consciousness and the global collective. That, for me, really answered that question of, yeah, what's going to happen? And with the light and the dark, we all have to experience and understand the darkness in order to fully experience and understand the light and therefore have the discernment of navigating the both. And I always find when I'm in fear or I'm getting challenged, I'm really able to observe that challenge, observe that emotion, observe that reaction objectively, and then bring love to it. Like, wow, this is really shitty. Like, this is kind of awesome. You know, like, this is what a challenge this is, you know, and, and by bringing love to the fear, I'm really able to appreciate it, be present with it, and then move on from it when it's appropriate to move on from it. The emotions that humans have isn't the problem. The hanging on to the emotions that humans have is the problem. Let's feel things in the appropriate amount of time and space to feel them. And then let's move on, learn from them and move on. And and that's, I think, where we're going to get to in the new earth. The first two years of my journey, remember how I said my experience in Australia was very revelatory? Yes. The first two years of my journey were a bunch of psychics and mediums telling me things. You were this, you were that, you have this problem, you have that problem. Information, information, information. And I'd go and I'd be like, I don't know what the fuck just happened, but you know, <laughs> I just paid them 300 bucks, 500 bucks, you know. 
whatever. I don't know what any of this means. And then I would go home and I would be me and I would be frustrated and I would be angry and I would cry. And I had all these crazy things happening to me and nobody to talk to except people that I paid two, three, four, five, six hundred dollars an hour hand over fist. And then even some of them didn't know what to do with me. Right. So when I went to Australia, the Aboriginal woman explained to me that, well, you've never done anything with all the information you've been given. These, these relationships, these past life relationships, these victim victimizer relationships, you're playing out these stories and these patterns over and over. So for example, just a, as a, a case in point, I had a client the other day, actually a, a couple, a man and a woman. They were an animal client. And I said, for some reason, I'm supposed to get both you guys on the phone. I normally don't do two people at a time, but I'm really good at it. I can do multiple things at one time, but I feel like it doesn't honor any one soul. So I don't offer it as a service. Okay. But for this, right. I, I was told do this. So they get on the line and they're like, Hey, yeah, we love you. You're great. You know? And I'm like, you guys have been married five times and there's a lot of stuff that needs to be unwound from those five marriage. And they're like, we know. And I go, you know, how can you know? Because um, it's screaming to me that you guys need to clear these lives. Oh yeah. A psychic told us like three years ago. So my soapbox moment is what is the point of all these people giving all this information? Right. What is the point of it? We're in this life. Right. We need to be present here. It is important to resolve those energies, but that's not entertaining that information that I have a spirit in my room. It just went, I don't know if you saw that. It's not for entertainment purposes. It's to put to use. It's to say, I forgive and ask to be forgiven for that lifetime with that person. If I was this person and I need to reclaim my power, release emotions, judgments, or fears. This is the root of unforgiveness of self. I choose to let that go. But people spending a ton of money to find out, oh, I want to know if I'm Pleiadian or I'm Arcturian or I'm Syrian or I'm an Antarian or, you know, and what is the, what? value does that bring? How does that help you heal? Heal. Most people are not using it to help heal. And then there's those few people, you don't have to know anything. You don't have to understand anything. Healing's all bullshit. Somebody's just going to magically come and wave a wand and uncover the magic. And you're just going to (laughs) be magically healed one day. And I call such bullshit on that, Ashley. Mm -hmm. You know, why would we Why would our soul allow us to walk into a a, a consciousness construct where we will do nothing but create harm for ourselves? Because we are expressing our consciousness at our lower chakras. And I heard a lovely woman who I respect and admire the other day say on national, a national program. Right. We've been living from our lower chakras too much. And now we need to start living. And so we need to learn about our higher shot. And I'm, I'm just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Rather than explain to people that we need to become self-aware, find the resistance in our lower chakras so our soul can drive the bus and open the higher chakras when it's time, or we clear out the higher chakras possibly contemporaneously as we're healing the lower chakras. But to bypass it, to do what Eckhart Tolle says, will absolutely create a pain body and separate yourself from spirit right here at the brainstem, right where the soul communicates with the nervous system. 
You want to be blissed out? You are literally wasting your entire life. And if you just came here to have fun and be blissed out, more power to you. You're living your soul's greatest excitement. Good for you. Most of us, at least 250 million of us from the future, did not come here to be blissed out. Mm -hmm. We came here to hold the light and keep the fabric of this planet together so that humanity can evolve. Right. And the light can populate the deepest, darkest regions of all of us and reveal the light from within. And, you know, I'm minimizing and I'm, there's not enough. No, I'm sure you are. No. But self-awareness, self-responsibility, that is what gets us to express Christ consciousness or Christic consciousness at the sixth chakra. And People, remember before I was alluding to some of the Eastern philosophies that they say, you know, don't talk, go do a silent retreat. Don't talk about your visions. Don't talk about what you see. Don't talk about, in Zen Buddhism, it's expressly forbidden. You know, in Mm -hmm. Sufism, oh, go use your abilities, you know, explore journey, right? And in indigenous cultures, only the shaman can do it. You know, because mm-hmm. all you little peons down there, none of you know what to do. So I'm going to heal. I'm going to be responsible for the health and well-being of everybody. And that's not where we're going as humanity. Where we're going as humanity is each and every one of us is the manifestation of the divine. We are going to be homo luminous beings if we choose that, if we choose that. And that takes a certain amount of self-awareness and self-responsibility. And you can't pay somebody five, ten, seventeen thousand dollars to activate your DNA, not unless you want to be taken over by AI. Your soul. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> your soul, when you are on your path, opens every door that you need to have opened for you. Yes. If you want to rely on Amen. technology then hello, hive mind species. It's happened before. And I am desperately trying to encourage away from the hive mind species outcome. And that means each and every person at some point, we are going to have to understand how being angry with our abuser or our grandfather or our mother serves nobody. Right. In fact, it, it, we are the ones imprisoning ourselves exactly. there and how the energy, the rules that are created, the energetic coping mechanisms, how we empower the dissociated, angry, rebellious parts of ourselves running the show behind. When I check in, they're like, yes, this is the time that you wanted to be here because this is unique. You know, we kind of get to tie a lot of things up all those lifetimes that we weren't able to go through the ascension process or we weren't able to work things out. This is the time because as we move through the sector of space, we also have access to a lot more photonic energy, light particles, and light particles also mean information. So we have access to higher vibrational energy, which makes this process of integration easier than if, say, we were at an individual level, trying to go through the process of ascension 500 years ago. 
it would have been harder for us to find that frequency, to sustain that frequency. But it's as if we're being bathed in it right now as we move through the sector of space. And it actually makes it much, much easier for us because this is what this time is meant to be. The guides will describe it like almost like a track where you have a start and finish line, except for it's not flat. We actually do spiral up, but it's on the same plane. So when we start a new cycle, we have just come through this sector of space, which has all of this photonic energy, which allows us to clean up what's left from the last cycle as we move into the new one. And that's that's really where we're at in terms of a grand cycle that we're moving through. Huh. So you explain time. I usually ask that question because I'm very fascinated by it. And the way you describe it really, really might be the best one I've understood. <laughs> But you describe it as a sphere and these now little moments. Explain that. Yeah, they're very specific about the imagery with this. So think about a giant sphere. And on the surface of that sphere are an infinite number of dots. Now, they always show a dot with a triangle underneath it and a little triangle inside. Hmm. So that dot is the now moment. And then... In the triangle, you have the frequency that your reality is based upon, and that is at the collective level. That's the big triangle. So what are you agreeing to in terms of the collective, the things that have happened as our past? So we had World War One, we had World War Two. This is going on right now in, you know, our current systems. All of that story, that frequency is what we base this moment on. And then our personal story, which is the little triangle. And it's what you cling to in terms of what you think happened in your past. And, you know, we know this at this point that our memories are quite faulty. So that if we will take a version of the story with us and that's what we'll say happened to us, who we are, you know, how we define ourselves. So that's the frequency that your now moment is built on. Now, most of us, as we go through our day and move moment to moment, don't change that story very much. Don't We don't shift our perspective very much. But the frequencies, say, on the other side of the sphere are based on something that is vastly different. And what occasionally will happen for some people is that they will radically shift their perspective of self and they will put themselves on another side of the sphere. Now, our bodies are generated out of the subtle energy body. It's the template for our physical structure. So when they move, when somebody moves to a different point on the sphere that the vibration of it is vastly different, their body can go through radical shifts very quickly. And this is what we generally say is a miracle. People who have uh, radical healings very, very quickly, they've shifted the base frequency that they're perceiving reality from. So we don't really have a timeline it's not like there's there's a solid timeline. We go from moment to moment to moment to moment and we string them together in our perspective and we okay. think that that is a timeline. The guides say that oftentimes people will refer to timelines because it is so confusing for us when we think about the past, the present and future all being one. Right. Anything that could be, is, and will be I don't think I said that right, but anything that was, (laughs) is, and will be exists on this giant sphere. It's just, are we enlivening that moment with our consciousness? So every decision to the left or the right, 
we enliven that decision, that now moment with our consciousness. We project our consciousness into that now moment. But all those things exist. And that's a lot for us to kind of take in and and really comprehend because we're so ingrained in the notion of time. Right. Time is really just a marker for frequency. It tells us where to find a now moment. Hmm. And as we get up into the higher vibrational ranges, we get closer to no time. And as we do that, time seems to accelerate from our perspective, our vantage point. So, you know, they used to say this 25 years ago and we think, well, what would that be like if time accelerated? Um, For those who are a little older, you know how much time and space you had. You know, I can remember having to be home for somebody to reach me on the telephone. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, always look for the magic.